Last week, we kicked off this series called The Domino Effect, and each week we're going to be looking at different biblical stories where it shows the impact of our faithfulness. The hope of this series is that, our faith, that we grow to recognize that our faithfulness bears fruit in the world and that there's a domino effect that comes from it that can change the course of history. Last week, we set up our series by exploring how one act of Adam completely affected all of humanity, but how a greater act of Jesus restored what went wrong. Through the power of Jesus in our lives, we have the ability to have a tremendous domino effect on the world around us. Today we're going to be looking at the domino effect of a biblical character that leaned into the leadership God had placed him in. In one way or at one point in our lives, we are going to be placed in a position of leadership or influence. Now maybe this looks like the CEO of a big corporation, the head coach of a famous team, Maybe the president of some committee or club. Maybe a teacher. Or for some of us, maybe even the assistant to the regional manager. Thank you, the office. There's an amazing domino effect that can happen when we faithfully lean into the leadership that God has us in. There is potential to make an incredible impact on the people we lead. Our passage today comes from Joshua chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. And our scripture reader for today is Alicia Cervantes. So would everyone please stand with me as she makes her way to the the center of the room. And here at TFRC, we have the tradition of standing and facing the center of the room for the reading of scripture to remind us of how central God's word is to be in our lives and that it is the primary view in which we try to live our lives in this world. So Alicia, whenever you're ready, go ahead. And the Lord said to Joshua... Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Thanks, Alicia. Everyone can be seated, please. The book of Joshua tells the continued story of Israel's journey to enter and inhabit the land that God promised them. The book starts by a transfer in leadership. A leadership from Moses, who had just died, to Joshua, Joshua had some big shoes to fill when it came to following Moses. Not only did he have to stand on his shoulders and lead, but there was a very difficult task ahead of him in his leadership. 
He would have to find a way to enter, conquer, and inhabit the land of Canaan. His first big task as a leader was figuring out a way to get his people across the Jordan River. And this is where we find ourselves in our passage today. But before we explore the text, it's important that we find, um, we understand the reality of what stands before Joshua and the Israelites. To get to the promised land, they must cross the Jordan River. Now, I had the privilege last May to go to Israel, and I actually got to stand at the banks of the Jordan and had the opportunity to go into that river. And I went with my wife. There's a picture of that up on the screen there. And though the river might not look like it's got that big of a current, when you step in there, it goes. It goes pretty fast. Joshua had the task of getting the whole nation across this river, but its conditions were much more extreme. If you look forward in our passage, just, uh, following, the, uh, just following it, verse 15 says that the river was in flooding season. So what do they see? Maybe it looks something like this. Standing in front of them was a river in flood season, overflowing its banks. There was no low water crossing in sight. The river is 150 miles, so there's no bridges they could go over. There was no access point. The river was seemingly impassable. And this is where Joshua receives his directions from God. Verse 7 says, And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Before giving directions, God lets Joshua know the purpose behind them. He wanted to make Joshua bigger in the eyes of Israel. So that those who follow would, would, would gain trust and Joshua would gain credibility with them. God wanted to elevate Joshua's leadership. God knew that in order for his people to be led by Joshua, they were going to have to see that God was with him the same way that God was with Moses. So, he used a situation that would naturally make them think of it. Just as Moses had led the Israelites across the Red Sea to get into the desert, so too would Joshua lead his people through the Jordan River to enter the Promised Land. Up to this point, the Israelites had claimed that they would follow Joshua, but as we look into the history of Israel, we see that sometimes talk is cheap or has a quick-to-forget memory. God was creating an opportunity for the Israelites to fully trust in their leader. After stating his intentions, God gives directions in verse 8. It says, Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. As mentioned earlier, the Israelites had a seemingly impossible task ahead of them when it came to crossing the Jordan. There was raging waters flowing through the river, and the river could have been as wide as 100 feet and deep as 10 feet. So this was not some easy task to just go right through. 
God's first direction was to have the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant go to the edge of the water and step in it. In giving this direction, God was sending a message to Joshua. He was letting him know that as they move forward into the promise, it would be God who would lead the way. And that sometimes we may need to take steps of faith that don't always make sense when we do that. God would go on to give further instructions as Joshua would go on to tell the Israelites. After receiving his directions, Joshua goes on to share with his people what the plan is and he starts by prefacing whose plan it is. Verse 9 says, Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. Josh is humble enough to not take credit for the plan that God made and is wise enough to know that at this stage in the game, God has more credibility in following through than he does. So he lets the people know whose plan it is. I think oftentimes when we find ourselves in positions of leadership, there's a temptation or a tendency to take credit for our successes, uh, for the things that go right and the plans that we make. But in Joshua's case, he was willing to give credit where credit was due. And sometimes that just takes a little extra self-awareness and looking outside of ourselves. Whether it was out of wisdom, humility, or maybe a little bit of both, Joshua was making sure that his people knew who was truly leading them. He was setting the stage to give God the glory for all that they were able to accomplish instead of himself. When we find ourselves in position of leaderships, it's important for us to practice that similar mindset. We need to find our opportunities to give God the credit and to give him the glory for letting us participate in his plan. So after establishing who was really in charge, verse uh, 10 kind of shows Joshua telling his people uh, what's about to happen. And, and when he does that, it's a sign that God is going to be with them through it all. And when we get to verses 11 through 13, he explains God's plan to get them across the Jordan River, the great flooding Jordan River. And Joshua says, See the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand in a heap. Now imagine at this point, you've got the Israelites, they're standing at the bank of the Jordan River, and they see this massive body of flowing water out of control as far as the eye can see. I'm sure there were a few people, I probably would have been one of those people, that were a little doubtful about these waters being cut off. You see, in the ancient world, water represented chaos. So not only was there this physical manifestation of uh, something blocking their way, mentally, it represented fear, chaos. 
In fact, they believed that water was an entryway to the underworld. It was where evil lived in their eyes. But Joshua, when standing at the banks of chaos, told them that they would get through it by first putting the Lord ahead of them. He told them they needed to step out in faith. And if they do that, God would get them through the chaos. This moment reminds me a lot of Peter stepping into the water as he was walking towards Jesus when Jesus was walking on the water. When Peter kept his eyes on what was in front of him, when he looked at Jesus, he could do it. He stepped onto the chaos. But when he failed to put God first, to put Jesus, who was in front of him, at the forefront of his mind, he began to sink. God wanted to use the adversity they were facing as an opportunity to elevate Joshua's leadership. So he gave Joshua directions on how to handle it. When it comes to execute the plan, God did exactly what he said he would do. And, you know, I, I would imagine as these Israelites were getting the directions from Joshua, you know, there's a few doubters. I would have probably been one of those guys. Like as he's saying, all right, so this is what you're going to do. I would have probably not believed it. In verse 16 and 17, following our passage, it says that the water piled up in a heap at a town called Adam and that the priests and the people walked across dry ground to cross the river. Now, I want to give you a little bit of perspective. There's a map I want to show you, and it shows where Adam is, and then you see the crossing site. That's 20 miles where, where that water was in a heap. So I want you to imagine the site. There's this flooding, raging river within eyesight. You can't see anything else. And then all of a sudden, it dries as far as the eye can see one direction. Now also imagine those other communities that potentially lived along that Jordan River. What were they thinking as all of a sudden this water disappears? What a sight. And just like that, the people knew their leader was legit. God elevating Joshua's leadership in this story created a domino effect on his ability to lead them into the promised land. It gave him the credibility that he needed for them to follow him faithfully, even when they would face adversity. And they were about to face a new level of adversity. And we see this, this moment in Joshua chapter 6, verse 1 through 5, if you want to turn there with me. Once again, that's Joshua 6, uh, verses 1 through 5. It says, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I've delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its, fright and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns on the front, in the front of the ark. On the seventh day, March around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. 
When you hear them sounding a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. One thing I just really love about this passage, when it comes to the the directions that God gives, is it starts by saying, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred and nobody was coming in or out. And the first thing God says, like, see, I gave it to you. I just, it cracks me up. It's like, okay, God, that's not super obvious in what you're saying. But uh, he gives Joshua the most unorthodox directions to conquer a city, probably in the history of mankind. In a nutshell, he tells them to play some music, march around the city, and the walls will just fall down. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? Can you imagine getting those orders? There had to have been a few naysayers. Like maybe a couple guys having a side conversation. Like, hey, do you think he maybe misinterpreted what God was trying to say here? But he did it. But the credibility of Joshua from that previous experience allowed for them to fully trust in what it was he was telling them to do. Even though it seemed maybe a little bit counterintuitive. So Joshua and the Israelites did as God said. And sure enough, the city came crumbling down. The significance of this story is huge. It's not because how great the city of Jericho was. In fact, there's debates scholarly on how big that city was at that time. That wasn't what was important. It was important because it was Joshua's first opportunity as a leader to take over a city and he did it by purely relying on God. God alone. He created a culture of allowing God to take the lead. Joshua may have gained trust and credibility with his people at the river, But you better believe this was the moment where it was solidified. At this point, people had faith in his leadership. This victory would have a domino effect on his ability to continue taking over and inhabiting the land of Canaan. And we see the culmination of this after Joshua defeats the northern kings in Joshua 11 verse 23. It says this, So Joshua took the entire land just as the Lord had directed Moses and he gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal divisions. The land, then the land had rest from war. The domino effect of Joshua's leadership, specifically his leadership at the Jordan River, gave him credibility for the battle at Jericho. And his victory in Jericho and his faithfulness there gave him the faith of his people to conquer the land of Canaan. Now these continued victories would allow them to receive the inheritance that was promised to them in Genesis to to Abraham. Throughout all the battles, throughout all the adversity, Joshua leaned into 
the leadership that God had for him. His big moment on the Jordan River had a domino effect that impacted the trajectory of an entire nation and one could argue the entire basis of a faith. Many times when we look at what makes a leader great, we look at their accomplishments. And when we do that, we see the fruits of Joshua's labor. He was amazing. But usually behind every great leader, there's a secret to his or her success. What is it about Joshua that made him so great? Sure, there was a level of wisdom, there was courage, there was charisma, there was humility. But what was the first domino to fall into place to make him the amazing leader that he was? If we look at all three of these pieces of scripture that we we looked at today, and even through the whole book of Joshua, we see a common thread. In our passages, we see the Lord said, the Lord said, and just as the Lord had directed Moses, a.k.a. the Lord said. The first domino that allowed for Joshua to lean into the leadership God had for him was his obedience to God's word. God would say, and he would do. Joshua was just obedient. And through his string of obedience, he took a group of people on the wrong side of a river, helpless, to the other side of the promised land. Earlier today, I said that we all, at one point or another, are going to be in a position of leadership at some point. As we find ourselves in those situations, what would happen if we could lean into our leadership the way Joshua did? What if the first domino of our leadership was allowing for God to lead us through our obedience? Specifically, our obedience to his word. See, what made Joshua such a great leader was that he was never leading in the first place. He was just following God at the front of the line. Willing to do whatever it is he was told to do. So when we find ourselves in positions of leadership or influence, we need to see ourselves as followers of God at the front of the line. Instead of trying to lead from a perspective of what's best for me or maybe what's best for my employees, what will be most profitable, profitable uh, what's going to get me the most likes? We should lead from a perspective of what's God's word asking me to do right now. Imagine where that could take your business, your friend groups, the clubs, the sports teams, all those things that you're involved with. What would happen if when you're placed in a position of leadership, instead of taking credit for your actions, you were just faithful and following where God was and being willing to take that second place? 
In the midst of this series, we are going to be issuing a domino challenge every single week. And for this week, uh, we've got one for you as well. This challenge is meant to challenge you to practice being faithful in a way that could have a potential domino effect for future generations, or maybe for something in the future in general. This week, my challenge for you is to identify one area of your life where God has placed you in a position of influence or leadership. Maybe it's work, maybe it's a friend group, maybe it's at your own house, but after you identify that, I want you to identify one way that you can try to be an obedient follower of God as you lead. And do it. Sometimes that's the hardest part, doing it. There is a domino effect. When we lean into our leadership by following God at the front of the line. And when we live obediently to his word in a way that allows for him to take the lead, amazing things are going to happen. Maybe not in our lives right now that we see, but who knows what could happen in the future. There's a domino effect when we're obedient to God and take our place following him. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for our time together in your word. Lord, you have placed all of us in some way or another in a place where we have influence or leadership. I ask that you help us realize today and live out for the rest of our lives this concept that we are not the ones leading, but you are instead. God, help us to know your word so that we can hear what it is you want us to do when it comes to um, being at the front of the line. Help us to, to be great coaches, to be great parents, to be great teachers, to be great friends that allow for you to have an, a huge impact and influence on the world around us. We love you, God, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, let's close with this blessing, please. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.